Welcome to the Invested Dads Podcast, simplifying financial topics so that you can take action and make your financial situation better, helping you to understand the current world of financial planning and investments. Here are your hosts, Josh Robb and Austin Wilson. Check one, check, check, check. All right. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to the Invested Dads Podcast, a podcast where we take you on a journey to better your financial future. Today, Josh, we are going to be talking about how long you should hold your stonks. Well, you know, in my opinion, you should hold your stocks until they have their own head control and can support themselves. Being a dad who's raised four (laughs) kids, I know that's about the point where... Holding them is not as necessary. That's right. They can sit up on their own. That's right. They and they can, can they can do their own thing. Yeah. That's hilarious. Let's kind of break this thing down by starting with some statistics. Yeah. Okay. And you really this comprised from this statistic is what made us really yeah, all, we'll get, all up in arms on this. So so yes. The it is widely believed it's really hard to calculate for yeah. one, but it's widely believed that the current holding period for a stock in the United States, is under one minute. Come again. Wait a minute. Under one minute. Un- so someone buys the stock and decides, I'm done with this. Within a minute. Within 60 seconds. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what, what is going around as the, holding, the average holding period for a stock in the U.S. That I just have a hard time comprehending that. And it's been falling for decades. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was an interview that Senator Mark Warner a Democrat from Virginia did he the interview was from 2016 but the kind of trend is the same. So in 1960, the average stock holding period was 8 years and 4 months. Okay. That's okay. not bad. That yeah. does not Almost sound too decade. bad. Yeah. yeah. In 1970, that had fallen to 5 years and 3 months. All right. A little shorter. In 1980, that had fallen to 2 years and 9 months. In 1990, that fell even further to 2 years and 2 months, but not that much. Mhm. In 2000, that fell to one year and two months. In 2016, which is when this interview was completed, that was around four months. So not even half a year. And then in 2021, it's estimated that that's less than a minute. All right. And so, again, if you recall back, we've talked about this past, but holding a stock in a taxable account for longer than a year gives you some tax advantages. So True. we're... We're well short of that now being uh, oh, yeah. 60 yeah, you're, seconds. You're, you're being taxed for sure at your oh, income tax goodness. rate. But anyway, so why? Yes. Why, why do How we... How is that even possible? Well, one re, the main reason that's driving a lot of this is what's known as high-frequency trading. And essentially what this is is computers have algorithms and things that they're looking for and reacting to how the market's working and all that stuff with all these different stocks mm-hmm. and for that matter, you know, ETFs and bonds and all kinds of stuff. But anyway, they are set automatically to either buy or sell when certain things reach certain thresholds based on the program that's in them. And they can do that very quickly. And I'm talking like fractions of pennies of share movements can trigger these things, especially when you're trading millions of shares. But it's called high-frequency trading because things are traded at a high-frequency a, a, a high frequency rate, and uh, that is definitely the biggest driver. And that's something that it obviously was not around in the '60s right. or the '70s. Mm-hmm. Even the '80s, where computers kind of came onto the in- scene in the investment yeah. world, really was not a big yeah, thing. That was DOS, and that was even in the is. '90s. It was not as prevalent. But yeah. as we've gotten closer to where we are now, 
high-frequency trading has become okay. a big part of the world. So a piece of mind is probably the average holding period for a real live individual person is probably a little more than a minute. Absolutely. But we have seen this trend shortening even for that. And that's, that's part of what we're talking about. Okay. So then the question comes back to, okay, I think we both agree longer than a minute is probably probably good to hold a stock. Yeah. uh, But kind of how long should you hold it? What is, what makes sense? Man, there are, let's just, so we're going to answer that question at the end, but Let's talk about some factors that kind of go into us coming to that conclusion, which we'll leave you with. So one of them is compounding. And Josh and I have talked many, many times about how compounding is the eighth wonder of the world. It's Josh's greatest favorite thing. It's awesome. Um, you know, since after his kids, it's like... Compounding is the only thing I don't want moderation in. That's, is, want you want excess of, of compounding. I want, of, I want more compounding. But yes, you have to let your investments have time to work for you. Yes. And obviously, yes, I think you, you hit the nail right on the head. Average investor versus all the stocks in the, in the available investment universe. Right. We're looking at the whole universe. That's not the average investor holding period, but it makes for a great statistic that, make, that makes you think, right? It does. But in general, yes, we've seen that fall. Um, and even for the average investor, that would have fallen mm-hmm. in that time. Another couple things that have kind of aided this that I actually forgot to mention is uh, we don't we didn't always have this ability to trade easily and quickly in cost and cost so nowadays trading is essentially free mm-hmm. for us and in you on your phone or whatever Anybody, wherever yeah. you go you can pretty much trade for free yep and you can do it on the internet in the blink and the click of a button yep or you can do it on your phone when you push a button you know it's it is that easy and it is executed Almost instantaneously. So you don't have to call somebody and place an order and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And, it and takes forever. trading costs used to be a factor because yeah. it used to cost like 20 bucks. Yeah. yeah. Or it, I remember, yeah, 34, 20. When it got under 10, things were a big deal yep. because you'd be a lot more selective at what yeah, you're buying and selling. Yeah, $9.99 or whatever, nine ninety five right. for a trade. People, oh, it's, it's a cheap. great deal. And it was four ninety five, and then zero. Zero. So yeah. those are so a couple like a things that have really kind of propelled that yeah. now it's a lot easier and like i said the tax advantaged accounts we now have 401ks and hsas and roth iras and all of these things that are not you're not taxed in generating that gain mm-hmm. when you sell which is something that you would be in a traditional brokerage account which and is probably what from selling exactly yeah and, I, I and that would have tax. been what most people would have had, you know, the further back mm-hmm. you would have gone. That's pretty much the best vehicle you had for your investments at yeah. that point. So a couple of things that were going on there. So back to compounding. Josh, why is time essential for compounding to work? Yeah. So the whole point of compounding is it, you give it time to earn and grow on itself. And when we're looking through that, one of the biggest pieces that impacts that really is if a stock pays a dividend, that's enhanced because not only does that initial purchase have time to grow on itself as its earnings grow and the company keeps going, but if I'm adding new dollars into that, so if I a company pays a dividend and then I reinvest it, that's more of that stock to compound and grow. So you're, you're compounding your compound? Compounding so, your compound. Oh, oh, I man. love it. So, but we looked, Austin did this cool little look back and saw that a 30-year time period, the last 30 years, an investor earned 83% more by reinvesting dividends. So if you just took the performance of the SP 500 without dividends, and then you said, what if somebody, every time they got the dividend reinvested it, they would have an 83% 
better performance. That's kind of a lot. That's a big deal. Well, because you think, so what, I mean, I'm just pulling a number out of thin air, but say the S&P 500 has averaged 2% dividend yield Mm -hmm. over the past 30 years. It's probably been a little higher than that, actually, but now it's less than that. So it's 2%. So yeah, you get a 2% in dividends. Reinvest it. Every single year. Mm -hmm. So you're automatically getting 2% more than the price return. And then that 2% is growing the next year at that return. And then all of that's growing. It's just a compound. Oh, it's awesome. It's beautiful. Yep. And that only works if, you, if, if you're, you're there to hold right. the, and get the dividend. Yeah. So compounding versus your just price return in a one-year time frame isn't that big of a deal. But like you said, you let those go over time. And yep. that's why a holding period matters. Your performance will be impacted. Absolutely. Another argument that I think a lot of people hear or are told or maybe maybe you say this yourself is mm-hmm. well I'm going to sell my losers right these yeah. things have just stunk it up yep. they're dragging down my portfolio and I got to get out yep. I got to get out before it goes before it gets worse so why would you hold on to something that isn't doing well so there is the idea a couple of things you know first is it may just be underperforming at this point I may have bought it early um, or there may need more time for it to turn around so that's why you'd hold it. The second thing is actually an argument for selling your losers, and we're going to get to this at the end, but there may be a reason why you actually want to do that. We're going to talk about that later. But the argument against it is really value investing is buying something when it's undervalued and letting it catch back up to its realized value. Right. So if you have something that's done poorly, it really you're anticipating that it'll do better, all other things equal. Yes. Another thing is that if you've got something that's really not done well in your portfolio, you might have somewhat of a diversified portfolio. Yes. They, that's one of your what your drums you've been beating for a long time. Yes. If you, there's something, if everything in your portfolio is going the same direction, is not diversified. And so that's happy when it's going up. Yeah, right. But when it's going down, everything's going right. up. And so last year is a great example. If we just look at stocks, if you had growth stocks, you had a great year last year. Absolutely. It was awesome. If you had value stocks, you did not not do so, so good of a year. It was flat or slightly up 2% or whatever, um, as opposed to like 34% for growth. Right. That doesn't mean that you should have just dropped all out of value because historically speaking, those things go in back and forth in tandem. Sometimes value, sometimes growth outperforms. Doesn't mean one or the other you should chase. It just means you're diversified. There are it is There is a case to be made for owning things that are doing well and things that are doing poorly because different sectors and even to that matter within different sectors different companies within those sectors do better or worse at different stages in a market cycle or different stages in an economic cycle so here we are in 2021 we are in an early part of an economic expansion yep and we're at uh, an early part of a new political regime we're at you know we're coming out of, or we're in a new bull market for that matter too. There's a lot of new things. So therefore, the things that maybe worked for the last bull market, the last coming out of the global financial crisis, they may, they may, they may not. You know, yep. There's two different ways it can go, but they may not always be the same things that work the next time around. Correct. So yeah, selling your losers may be not ideal all the time. Yeah. So you don't just do it because- They're losing. They're losing. Yeah. Yep. Unless you know, unless the fundamental story has changed. Yep. If the fundamental story has changed, that's a whole other story. Yep. But just to sell something yep. because the price is down isn't necessarily what we're talking about today. Uh, the other argument is, I, I got to capture some of these gains. These winners have been doing so great. I bought PayPal at 60 bucks a share, and it's 250 now. I got to sell. Got to get out. Why would you not do that? Yeah. 
And the idea there, again, is if you have a good, strong company, they will continue to grow and their price will continue to go up. And you may sell and lock in some gains, but you may miss out on future gains. And that's the argument there is what's changed? Yeah. Just because the price is up, if you have lost confidence in it, that's one thing. Right. But if you just say, oh, look how much it's grown, I should stop here. Right. Then that that's a different way and something that you may regret later on. Now, the caveat is that if something has grown so much faster than the rest of your portfolio that it has gotten to be a huge portion yes. of your portfolio, you are it's pretty risky to have too big of a position in any one stock. Yeah. And that brings us to the question I propose is, and this is true for the loser argument and the winner a, argument. You're calling me a loser? Yes. The idea is rebalancing. We say buy and hold stocks. Well, I'm also a proponent that you have an asset allocation and you stick to it, which would require rebalancing. Does that count or does that go against a buy and hold strategy? No, I think yes and no, actually. So, well, technically it does because you are trading and you are not holding necessarily yes. indefinitely. I think that there is a prudent overlay to some of these things. It's just the, it's the same argument with the sell your winners. Mm-hmm. It's being responsible. You can't let things get too out of whack. So you would say it depends? I would say it depends and it in, depends. Moderation. in moderation. You should, moderation, uh, you should probably uh, rebalance in moderation. Yeah. And really, again, that's we want to clarify, you know, when we talk about buy and hold strategy, when we talk about, hey, you know what, don't be day traders, you know, in the long run, you're going to be better off finding good fundamentals and sticking with it. That's, that's the underlying, that's kind of the thesis for investing that we believe in. But on top of, like you said, you, you kind of use your own brain to say, okay, that's great, but I've owned Apple for 10 years and it's gone from a 5% weighting in my overall portfolio to now it's 20% weighting. Yeah. What should I do? And the, <laughs> the point is, you know what? From a diversified portfolio, you're 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 kind of getting over heavy, you know, overweight here. Right. Maybe you do trim it back. I'm not selling because it's just because it's a winner. I'm not selling to lock in the gains. I'm selling for a purpose of my allocation is designed to get me to my goal, and I need to stick to it. If I get too far overweight, get too far underweight, it can impact my overall success. And so you're right. It's it doesn't go counterintuitive to a buy and hold strategy because you're not reacting to it. Because correct, the opposite of buy and hold really is day trading, which to me is a lot of emotional investing. Right, I, I in I'm out. I feel good. I'm scared, and that's really not what rebalancing is. Rebalance is saying at this set time, I will relook at where I'm at and get back to my target. Not because I feel great or indif. I'm indifferent. I'm just going with the thought of this is where I want to be. I'm going to get back there. And I'm doing so in a way that is unemotional, detached from yes. feelings. I'm selling things that are too big, buying things that are too small. I may be selling some winners, but that's okay because I have a reason. I have a strategy. Proactive trading Proactive. is favorable to reactive, reactive. trading. Yep. We would rather be the people choosing to do those things ahead of time before things get yep. too out of whack or before something happens when things are too risky. Yep. You know, I, I don't know why I'm thinking about this because Bitcoin's popular, but some people had, had allocated a small portion of their financial picture to Bitcoin uh, a year ago, right? Mm-hmm. That 5% weighting in yep. your overall... It's a little bit bigger now. It's a lot bigger now if you did not trim it. Yep. And when Bitcoin falls 20% in a day... Yep, that can be it. So. Gets down to twenty thousand, like you predicted. Then oh, it's gonna happen. It's gotta happen. And Even then, though not today. Yeah, and along that same thing, when you talk about removing the emotion from it, selling your losers may be reasonable 
if it's for a purpose. For mm-hmm. instance, we've talked about tax loss harvesting, where you sell something at the end of the year to create a taxable event to give you a deduction or a reduction in your income. That's fine. Yeah. Again, you're not selling because you're emotionally, oh, this is the worst stock. I'm out. You're selling because I can enhance my taxes and I'm going to probably own this again in 31 days. Yeah. And, and so are you still buying and holding? Long term, right. yeah. You just are being strategic about your taxes during that time. And we put a specific episode about that situation out uh, at the end of last year. Yeah. So we will link that in the show notes if you want to go take a listen to that. Yeah. That's something that's typically done at the end of the year. You can do that at yeah. any point, really. But typically at the end of the year when you're taking, uh, taking a look at your financial, you know, your gains over the year. So, Josh... This is pretty. This is pretty real stuff we're talking about here. Yeah. I feel like you need to. Uh, you need to crack a laugh. Break. Yep. Need Take a break. a break. Just do it right here. I got a good dad joke of the week okay. for you. I'm ready. Why do seagulls fly over the sea? Mm-hmm. Probably because if they flew over the land, they'd be land gulls. I mean, you're pretty dang close. Because if they flew over the bay, they'd be bagels. Oh, bagels! I like that <laughs> one even better. I like it. Classic. So there's your dad joke of the week. Bagels. All right. So let's kind of get into the nitty gritty of it a little bit. Let's just say that Mm -hmm. the account type that you're holding or buying or selling or whatever these stocks specifically, it matters. It does. Yeah. So buy and hold strategy has a different impact in different account types. So if you have a taxable account, which we talked about earlier, if you hold for longer than a year, your capital gains rate is considered long-term, right. which is a more favorable tax bracket. Significantly, usually. Yes, depending yeah. on where you're at, but yep. normally it's a pretty good discount. If you sell after or from holding less than a year, you're taxed at your short-term, which is the same as your income tax right. rate, which is usually higher. So when you're holding for less than a minute... That's the short term, a <laughs> little bit short term, short term tax rate. This is what's uh, this is what's going to burn the bit the uh, or the GameStop b- millionaires or yes. whatever. They, they they sold they, they only held it for tax. a couple months yeah. and they own income tax on potentially and millions. Surprise! We have a progressive income tax. Exactly. So the more you made, the more you're going to owe. Exactly. Yep. Except for the guy that started it all, because I think he started his position over a year. He ago. would have long term. Yeah, got, it's going to work out well for him in. if he got out at the top. On so, the reverse side, flip though, side, yeah, you have a tax advantage account, which would be anything where the tax is either already paid, yep, like, like a Roth. Roth IRA, or deferred, meaning it's going to come out later, yep, four hundred one k rollover IRA, rollover IRA, yep. traditional IRA, HSA is in the first category Correct. as well because it's not taxed, and well, I guess it's, it could fall in either depending on what you use the stuff true. for. But high level, there's no tax in the transactions, yes, and so those then. You don't have to worry about was I, did I hold it for less than a year or not. So most of the time, taxable accounts you have an incentive to be a buy and hold person. Is I get paid more or I give less to the government if I wait a year or longer. And all other things equal, we want to pay less tax. Yes, if you can. Yep. Legally and Legally ethically, pay less tax. Yeah. <laughs> tax advantage accounts. That incentive is gone. I could buy it today. Or I could buy this minute, sell it next minute, and I don't owe any tax. As long Correct. as it stays in that account and I don't withdraw it, it it's indifferent. Yeah. So that's part of, like you mentioned, is if you're going to have a strategy that revolves more trading, then maybe you'd want it in a taxable or tax advantage account. Uh, buy and hold, put it in a taxable account. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, there is an impact. So 
think about that when it, let's say you're utilizing a couple different strategies for your overall allocation. Who you love buckets? Buckets. I love buckets. So there may be a strategy that is more advantageous to trading. And you say, okay, if I know there's a possibility of that, or that maybe it's some sort of strategy where they come in and out of positions and you have less control over it, you may want to put that in a tax advantage account so that you're not adversely impacted on your tax return. Whereas you say, okay, here's one that I get to choose the holding period. I get to choose the investments. Maybe that's a taxable account because then I know if I'm going to sell, I know I'm creating the gains. I'm aware of that on my own. The trigger is with you. Yes. Absolutely. Josh, what is one exception yeah. for this sort of thinking? It, it's kind of an exception, but the more you think about it, it's it's really kind of shouldn't be. But let's say your goals are short-term, so then your holding period becomes short-term. Now, I would argue then stocks probably aren't your best <laughs> that's thing to my, be That's in. what I was thinking. But let's say you're you're in a position where you want to grow your money, um, but you're going to possibly need it in a shorter time frame. Yeah, then you just be aware of that. And I would, again, argue that volatility would be the bigger play there is what if I need the money short term mm-hmm. and I can't wait for the market to recover? I'm right. April of 2020, the market's down 34% and I, I need this. Yeah. Then I'm locking in losses yes. and I'm selling. Um, but holding period matters, goals matter. And that would consider whether it's a buy and hold strategy. And again, we're talking stocks, but maybe it's a buy and hold strategy for... Um, a fixed income ETF for mutual fund. Yep, You can still do buy and hold for that and that's less volatile. So maybe that's where you'd fit into those type of shorter term goals where you'd say, okay, I may want to own a ETF instead of a mutual fund because I'm not going to get my capital gains at the end of the year. You could be strategic there knowing I have a short time frame. I'm still going to hold yeah. until I'm done. I think all of those Reddit people are saying, hold the line, hold, yeah. hold, 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 hold. Well, without the buying, this yes. is not even related to what we're talking about. Without the buying side, that, that gets yeah. stocks going flat. You can hold. It <laughs> doesn't mean it's going to go up. Yeah. You're still holding your shares. Exactly. So I guess at the end of the day, Josh, yes. this is it's all about how to best meet your long-term goals, right? Mm-hmm. So investing in general is all about meeting those specifically longer-term goals. But That's a retirement for a lot of people. That can be a lot of other things. Yep. But how long you hold stocks can be a factor in that. And as we know, and we've said before, investors left on their own have historically underperformed the market. They typically make some pretty poor choices when it comes to timing. And if you are more of a buy and hold type investor, you're going to do better than that. And uh, that's one of the benefits that we like to, to preach, you know, in our world is, you're going to you're going to do well and meet yes. your goals just by not making bad choices, and that's something that working with a financial advisor um, can really help you with. So, as a reminder, if anybody would be interested, um, there is an invest with us tab on our website, and you can check that out. You can schedule a meeting with Josh himself oh to have a discussion, and uh, he has a pretty he has a pretty good ear for this stuff. So, um, check that out if you're interested. I think it'd probably be glass be best. Wow, I can't talk. Mm-hmm. To wrap this up with some quotes of yeah. wisdom from some very wise men in the world. So, Josh, kick us off. Yeah. And as we do this, too, there is there is the concept, like you mentioned. Fundamentally, we are actually more likely to sell winners and hold on to losers too long than we are to sell the losers and keep those winners. We're, we are more likely to say, hey, this thing's up. I'm going to lock in these and then say to the loser stock, you know what? It's it, probably going to recover at some point. And so you're right. We're 
we're predispositioned to kind of make bad emotional decisions for investing. That's why strategy, that's why goals, that's why having a plan matters is you're not forced to make that decision, which usually is wrong. You say, okay, I'm selling this one because my strategy tells me, my goals tell me, my plan tells me I'm too big there. Right. I'm buying this one, even though I don't like it because I need it for diversification. It will historically has been fine. It's just not doing well right now. Yep. And you, you just take the emotion out of it. But to look at that, uh, Nick Murray, who we've talked about in a prior podcast, he, he's written some books. Um, he says, when it comes to stocks, buy when you have the money, sell when you need the money. Everything else is market timing, which is another term for madness. And um, you could tell he's not a fan of market timing right. or day trading. He would be a buy and hold he would type be. investor there. Uh, another one. Until and, you need the money. Until you, And then it's okay to sell. Yeah. It's part of the plan. Yes. Uh, another wise man that you know most people in the investing world have looked up to for decades is Warren Buffett. Oracle of Omaha famously said, our favorite holding period is forever. Mm-hmm. Because to him, and I'm thinking, you know, like Apple specifically, he's got a huge stake in it. He's held it for a long time. It's big, but it does well. And he's just, he understands the company and nothing's changed. Yep. He's not, he's not getting rid of it. Yep. And unless things change or your situation changes, hold that stock. Yep. So as always, check out our free gift to you. It's a brief list of eight principles of timeless investing. These are overarching investment themes. I'm to keep you on track to meet your long-term goals. And Yeah. Uh, we talk about investing for the long term there. That's for sure. Check it out. It's free on our website. Josh, how can people help us grow this podcast? Yeah, make sure you subscribe. Uh, that helps you get alert every time we drop an episode on Thursdays. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's always nice. Uh, helps us with ranking so more people can find us. If you have any ideas or have thoughts or questions about long-term holding or what that means to be a buy and hold type of investor, you can email us at hello at theinvestedaz.com. And then if you know somebody who's talking about this or, you know, I was having a discussion about day trading, uh, send them this episode. I'm sure they'd love to. Absolutely. Well, until next Thursday, have a great week. All right. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the Invested Dads podcast. This episode has ended, but your journey towards a better financial future doesn't have to. Head over to theinvesteddads.com to access all the links and resources mentioned in today's show. If you enjoyed this episode and we had a positive impact on your life, leave us a review. Click subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Josh Robb and Austin Wilson work for Hicks and Zerker Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Josh, Austin, or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Hicks and Zerker Capital Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Hicks and Zerker Capital Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. There is no guarantee that the statements, opinions, or forecasts provided herein will prove to be correct. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Indices are not available for direct investment. Any investor who attempts to mimic the performance of an index would incur fees and expenses, which would reduce returns. Securities investing involves risk, including the potential for loss of principal. There is no assurance that any investment plan or strategy will be successful.